Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. I want to start today by thanking all of my listeners across North America. I have received so many emails. We have had such a following with this show. And remember what I always say. You are making a difference in the lives of other people with disabilities just by helping me out. And talk about a person that has helped out people with disabilities. I have to say that our guest today is not just a national champion. He's an international champion of research and policy for people with disabilities. Truly, he is a champion of civil rights for all Americans with disabilities and a prolific writer. As a matter of fact, kind enough he was to send me one of the books that he wrote, and I put it right in my office in my library to show people when they stop in, and I still do to this day, and that would be Dr. Peter Blank, who is the university professor at Syracuse University and chairman of the Burton Blatt Institute. Peter, it is my honor to welcome you to the show. Thank you. It's, a, it's always a great pleasure to be with you, and my mother would be very proud of that introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I mean what I say, and I will tell you that Peter, um, I've known Peter for quite a while. I had the honor once to be on a uh, panel with him, and I think when you talk about research and policy and advocacy and civil rights uh, policy for people with disabilities, Peter Blank is probably the first name that will come up. And, Peter, um, I wanted to also thank you for being on the show again because we did have you on once before and we, we just received a great response at that time. But for our new listeners, I wonder if you would mind taking a moment to tell them what caused you to become so interested in advocacy and policy for Americans with disabilities. Well, Joyce, it, it really is a pleasure to be with you and to participate in a show like this is so important. I, As I've told you before, I'm blessed. I grew up with family members with disabilities and um, I went through school kind of always knowing that this was going to be my calling. I've been very fortunate to have great mentors over time, and without sounding cliche-ish, you know, I really am just standing on the shoulders of great people before me and, and, and trying to participate in what has really become, as you say, an international movement, of movement which is changing the lives of so many millions of people across this world, and a movement in which my children and your children and children around the world will never know a world growing up without laws like the Americans with Disabilities Act or the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And my hope, like you, Joyce, is we'll leave this place a little bit better off for our children uh, in that regard. Well, you are certainly helping to make that happen. And, Peter, we do have several email questions that came in for you. Um, our first question is from, guess what, state, Iowa, and the question is from a Timothy saying, uh, Dr. Blank, you are truly a champion for all people with disabilities and such a wonderful role model in the area of what to do if you want to have a career in the area of policy. My question for you is, 
how many young people today do you believe are going into a career in policy as relates to people with disabilities? Well, the short answer is not enough. But I, I thank my friend from Iowa. Uh, it's, Iowa is, of course, the home of Tom Harkin and other disability leaders who really have defined this movement. Uh, there is a terrific need, though, for this next generation of young people with disabilities to participate and help shape the future of disability policy and law. We have been very fortunate at our institute, the Burton Blatt Institute, to be to receive some fairly large gifts recently. And with one of the gifts, we just sent this summer four people, four students with disabilities uh, at Syracuse University Law School to study with Bobby Silverstein, who many of your listeners will know, and Michael Morris, another disability policy leader, so that they can begin to carry the mantle of the next generation of young people with disabilities in this area. And, um, and there's, there's a terrific need for people with disabilities of all ages, though, to be involved in disability law and policymaking because if we, if we don't, then it will be defined for us. And um, we've been down that road before. Yes, yes, we have. Well, you know, let's talk about policy for a moment. As you know, Peter, uh, there is a dire problem here in the United States in the in the area of employment for people with disabilities. And as a matter of fact, uh, even in the federal government, you know, we have seen a falling backwards in this area. My question for you is how important do you think policy is as relates to employment, or I should say improving employment for people with disabilities? Well, it's crucial. And, you know, Justin Dart, who was a great leader in our community, Joyce, you knew him well, always used to say that uh, disability policy and civil rights was only one side of the coin. The other side, of course, was economic empowerment and economic advancement. And we, we obviously in this country are at a stage where we need to think hard about both the welfare state history in which we come from, Medicaid, Medicare, SSI, SSDI, but also making work pay, making people motivated to work, uh, ensuring that companies' corporate cultures are sensitive to not just people with disabilities but uh, a broader diversity of people's backgrounds. I've recently been talking around the country at Fortune 100 companies about including disability as part of a larger diversity initiative. You know, I did a study with um, uh, a great young researcher, Phoebe Ball, a young woman with a disability who worked at our center. We did a study of Fortune 100 companies, their public information, their financial information, and it turned out something like three of the 100 Fortune 100 companies even mentioned disability in their annual reports and in their prominent documents as something that they would see as value in terms of striving for as from a diversity perspective. So there's an awful lot of work to do in this area as well. Oh, my. Yes, there is a lot of work to do. As a matter of fact, in the area of education, um, and Bobby Silverstein was on the show, and he, we were talking about education. I had a group of interns in my office this summer, and they were fantastic, you know, really great young people, some with disabilities, some without that wanted to work in our office to learn more about this whole area of disability and employment. And at the end, when I said, what surprised you the most? 
two or three of them, and they're college students at Penn State and, you know, Allegheny and really good schools, and they said, well, you know, until I came here, I really didn't understand or hear about the ADA, and I certainly never heard about Justin Dart. And now they're talking about high school, you know, their high school education prior to college. And I always wondered, boy, if they could get a policy where there's more training in schools about this, maybe it would help make a difference. Yeah, you know, another area, I think that's very that's very important what you just said. Another area which we've focused on very hard recently, uh, which relates to that, is is just basic financial literacy and economic empowerment. Most people with disabilities don't own their own homes. They don't have great credit ratings. They don't have strong relationships with banks. And we really have to do a better job early on of creating that financial strength in the community of people with disabilities. Because as my friend John Kemp says, who you probably had on your yes, show yes. many times, 54 million Americans' dollars are just as green as anybody else's dollars, and this is a huge market segment that really hasn't been tapped so far. So these consumers and these financially empowered folks will also be the same who folks who will be employees down the road of these large corporations as well. Yeah, now, what do you think we could do about that, Peter? What, what suggestions do you have? In terms of hiring? In terms of what can we do to help them understand more about their financial power? Well, clearly, um, we have a number of programs going, and a number of other people have programs going as well. But clearly, we need to have basic financial literacy in terms of what it takes to get a loan, yeah. what it takes to uh, manage credit card accounts, Mm -hmm. what it takes to get in the property ladder, which so many people with disabilities, unfortunately, are not in the property ladder. And as a matter of fact, this is coming back to policy, there are some terrific disincentives to get into the property ladder because, you know, if your assets are too high, you could potentially jeopardize your government health insurance benefits. So clearly there needs to be a rethinking and a balance of making work pay enhancing financial security, as you would for any other American, and at the same time creating educational opportunities that allow people with disabilities not only to enter the workforce but to advance in the workforce as well. Yeah, and I think you are so right because um, so many people, when they do gain employment, if they've never worked before, they don't always have that literacy you're talking about. I think that is so important. So, you know, I hope something does happen in that area. And, uh, and Peter, I'm sure you probably read about the recent EEOC findings and the recent hearing in Washington, D.C., that talked about the 26% reduction in employment for Americans with targeted disabilities in the federal government. What did you think about that? Uh, it's a shame if it's true. The federal government should be a leader in this area and, and, in fact, historically has been a leader. I'd have to look at the data more carefully. Actually, a number of people have asked me about that. Uh, but, but to the extent that that is true, uh, it's, it's very troubling and something that needs to be addressed from a policy point of view, certainly. Well, I had the great honor of being a witness, but I was a witness for an example of best practices because one of my big customers is the National Security Agency. So they wanted an example of, well, how did it work, you know, where it did work, where it worked in, in a positive way. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I think a mistake that people make 
is that here we have this high unemployment in corporate America, and we're forgetting that people are people, and so the same issues you deal with sometimes in the federal government you deal with at other places. Do you know what I mean? One of the biggest problems I run into, for example, is hiring people who are entry level, that, you know, people are so accustomed to hiring experienced people that whether or not they have a disability, this is a big issue. And I was wondering, do you think that with the baby boomer retirement coming forward, that that is going to help open the doors for people with disabilities? I certainly hope so. If you look at the Americans with Disabilities Act objectively, Really, most people who have used the act so far are people who were current employees who have been injured on the job. There's still, there still is a terrific disconnect with regard to the hiring of people with disabilities, and that's the real challenge for the future. Well, we're going to talk more about that when we come back, but right now we're going to break for one minute, and then we'll be right back with our guest, Dr. Peter Blank, Chairman of the Burton Blood Institute and Professor at Syracuse University. This is Joyce Bender. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show, and if you just joined us, we are talking today to Dr. Peter Blank, Chairman of the Burton Blood Institute at Syracuse University and world-renowned champion of policy for people with disabilities and author of so many books in this area. Uh, Peter, I wanted to talk to you for a moment about something we've talked to. I Dare Dart, Justin Dart's daughter, was on the show recently, and several people have expressed a concern 
about civil rights for Americans with disabilities, feeling that rather than going forward, we're going backwards. How do, how do you feel about that? Uh, I reject that, actually, with all due respect to all my good friends. I think we are going forward. I think as a lawyer and a policy person, we're experiencing natural ebbs and flows in our democracy, as we've seen in other areas, race, gender, and so forth. And I say that because even though we may see or think that there has been a restriction or a narrowing of laws like the Americans with Disabilities Act, what has happened, at least in my experiences, is at the local level, at the grassroots level, at the same time we have seen a corresponding expansion of rights. So California, New York, Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, we've seen, and many other states, Florida, we've seen a greater expansion of civil rights and laws enhancing the rights of people with disabilities. Now, am I happy about that that contraction on the federal level? Certainly not. But I do think at the end of the day, the ADA is as much a legal statement as it is a attitudinal and policy statement that this is what this country is is hoping for and striving for. And we do have a long way to go, but I'm not ready to suggest that it's been a failure by any means. Mm-hmm. Well, and it is amazing, you know, the changes that have come about as far as access for people with disabilities. We definitely have made progress there. It's just now we have to make progress in the area, of, you know, of employment and other issues. But I, I think probably people have concern because of, as you know, the uh, over the past several years, the Supreme Court rulings that narrowed the Americans with Disabilities Act. You don't think that has been a problem? Well, it certainly has been a problem uh, for the reasons I suggested, but I, I still think that the ADA has changed the landscape of this country. It has certainly changed the built environment. What we are seeing still, as you're, as you're talking about, is attitudinal backlash or attitudinal resistance as well. So I, like many lawyers who work in my area, I probably have enough cases to last for 100 years in this area. The case of this week uh, is takes place in California. The teacher has a degenerative muscular disorder. Uh, she uses a, a service dog to help her in the classroom. She's taught for 28 years or 25 years. Stellar teacher. The kids love her, and, um, and the service dog is, is fantastic. A new principal comes in, doesn't really understand the concept of a service dog, thinks maybe it's inappropriate to have a service dog in the classroom, which, of course, the parents and the kids don't think. And you're all of a sudden you're into a dispute about the employment of this teacher with a disability. All of this is really not about her capabilities or abilities, but it's about these attitudes about disability and factors attendant with disability and I see more and more cases like that rather than those that are really systemically deep barriers to um, to hiring or to um, you know to access to the workplace. This well, attitudinal were, discrimination you, is what right. You were involved though, with a case that was truly outright discrimination, wasn't that the case at Chuck E. Cheese? Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. I mean, that was that was another one of these cases in which. The circumstance, it was really didn't need to happen. Chuck E. Cheese, which may be an otherwise fine firm, perhaps in this case didn't handle it quite right. Don Perkle 
gentleman with mental retardation who was nonverbal worked as a janitor in the one of the restaurants. A regional manager came in one day and basically said, fire that guy. I don't like the way he looks. That was actually in the trial record. And to their credit, this is a measure of humanity, all the local staff quit in protest, said we're not going to fire this guy. Case should have been settled, went into litigation, trial, and so forth. The upshot was Don Perkle received $70,000 in back pay for working at Chuck E. Cheese. And then the jury foreman stood up and said, that's not enough. We never want this to happen again. $13 million in punitive damages. A case just involving attitudinal discrimination of a guy who wanted to work and just get up and enjoy his work every day. And I see so many cases like that, but my hope is that over time we'll see a lessening of that sort of attitudinal discrimination. And you were involved in that case, correct? Yes. Yeah, that is that I remember that story that is such an unbelievable, you know, great story. And I always thought was such a great part of that story was the people who quit, the local staff who quit. You know, rather than being involved in doing that. That's exactly right. I think uh, I don't want to be Pollyannish or overly optimistic. There are certainly present challenges, but I do think that in time we will see a lessening of these strong attitudinal barriers. For me, as you've said, Joyce, and I know you are so advanced with your firm and your work in this area, the real battleground right now is in hiring, is in getting young, qualified kids, young adults with disabilities into the workplace and having them be able to move and advance in the workplace as as any other person would do. Yeah, that is true. That is where the rubber meets the road, no doubt about it, because I live it every day. And and a lot of it really is that, you know, you really need disability uh, education and awareness. So that other uh, example you gave, I think that's really important about the corporations, mm-hmm. you know, adding disability to their diversity. And, because and also understanding that this adds value, this adds shareholder value. We have done, my colleagues and I, a very large study of about 3,000 employers with the Job Accommodation Network, studying the costs and benefits of workplace accommodations in a whole range of companies, different types, scientifically rigorous. And we find not only do workplace accommodations cost less than most people think, but employers actually report in monetary terms that they add business value to the company. In other words, they actually add shareholder value in terms of productivity, a reduction in workplace injury, a reduction in worker comp costs, and increases in tenure, and um, we, we need to get that story out. That is the story. That is it, because I tell companies all the time, it's not about, you know, pity, it's not about charity, it's about the person adding value and being productive and about accountability. Because if they think of it just as a charity, we will get nowhere. They have to see the value to the bottom line, which is what you're talking about. That's it. That's exactly right. Yes, that is the, and, and, and I think that we, you know, the more people we get employed, the more we will change the way people think. Peter, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about for a minute um, is that many people in the disability community feel that genetic testing and screening is the new form of eugenics in this country. What do you think about that? Well, clearly there's a, a very dangerous 
that's a very dangerous area. Uh, I've I've actually worked on cases in that area and have, like many people, spoken and written on that area. The short answer is, I think there are increasingly privacy protections in place and state laws that protect individuals both with and without disabilities in this regard, but it clearly is an area that we have to pay close attention to. I have not seen in my practice widespread genetic discrimination so far against people with disabilities in the workplace. Others may think there are greater concerns, for example, in the health insurance and the health care area. I don't know that area as well but I certainly think it's an important area to pay attention to. Yes, and uh, again, I want to remind you that the author, Edwin Black, is going to be on my show in a few weeks. Seven of his books have been nominated for Pulitzer Prize. His new book is called Internal Combustion, but he also wrote the book War Against the Weak. And if you go back to the archives in my show, you can listen to that show, um, and, and he does talk about this, but... I, I didn't realize, Peter, that you had written about this. Now, where do people go to to read your writings about well, that? Well, they're all free of charge and in accessible formats, we hope, at our Institute's website, which is bbi.syr.edu, or just Google the Burton Blatt Institute or me, and you should be able to find that. And one of the things we like to do is to, obviously, put everything out there in accessible and free formats and hear from people about what they think of what we're doing. I emphasize accessible formats, by the way, because I just am involved with a new case now, uh, unfortunately, a place where I shop quite regularly, uh, uh, against Target stores, which has to do uh, with whether or not their website is accessible to people who are blind. I'm a counsel, along with many other fine counsel for the National Federation of the Blind, who's suing Target stores to try to make their website uh, fully accessible to people who are blind. Wow, that is something, really. That's really interesting. I'm One minute. glad to see that they're you know, moving forward and taking this seriously because I've had you know, different people call me about different companies where the website is not accessible, and I always tell them, hey, that's the law. You know, They have to be accessible. But well, I, I had the luxury of or maybe some would say not luxury, of testifying before Congress uh, on the legal point that the that web accessibility essentially was covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. There is some dispute in that area, and we are continuing to push that theory and test that, that idea. Oh, that is phenomenal. Well, Peter, we're glad you're out there leading the way for us, and we'll be right back after break. You are listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with a true champion, Dr. Peter Blank. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display 
display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. If you are a self-published author or an independent publisher, you know how difficult it is to gain maximum exposure. For the latest ways to increase publicity for your work, tune in to On the Same Page with Maxine Thompson every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time. On the show, Maxine will interview thriving independent authors and give you the opportunity to call in and have your questions answered. She will also teach you fresh and innovative ways to gain more visibility and enhance sales for your book. The printed word has the ability to record culture and make history. Once again, that's On the Same Page with Maxine Thompson every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time. Make your words count on voiceamerica.com. From our home to your speakers, voiceamerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. We have been talking to our guest, Dr. Peter Blank, author policy maker and chairman at Burton Blatt Institute, Syracuse University. And one of the things Peter and I were talking about at break was how many people have contacted me and do want to get involved in advocacy but don't know how. And, Peter, you were saying that you have information about that at Syracuse University? Well, on, on our website, which I told you about and I'm happy to uh, tell you again about, we actually have been funded by the U.S. Department of Education to do outreach and training for disability policy advocates and researchers, young and old, on how you analyze policy, how you develop policy, how you research it. It's called the Community-Based Resource Center Project, which is a fancy name for basically distance learning modules, which are free of charge. You can just sign in and learn about it on how to do disability policy, how to study it, how to assess it, and how to have an impact in your local community through this program. That is fantastic. Okay, what's that website again, Peter? The website is bbi.syr.edu, or you can Google me, Peter Blank. And I should mention that one of my partners on that grant is another superstar in my eyes and in your field, a guy named Lex Frieden. Yeah. who was the former chairman of the National Council on Disability, and he and I have worked together for years to develop this website so that we can help stimulate policy development uh, in this area. Boy, that is just really great. Yes, and I know Lex stepped down from his role uh, just recently, but he was um, uh, heading this panel discussion 
in Washington, D.C. on July 26th when I was down there for the ADA celebration. So that, that is really something. I never knew you had this available, so I'm glad you brought that up, and that is free of charge. Free of charge. All our stuff on our website is free of charge. We have a number of projects like that. We have another project, for example, which which actually, Joyce, I should have told you about, which just focuses on getting young people with disabilities access to information technology jobs. Mm, it's called IT Works, mm. and it's funded by the U.S. Department of Education, National Institute of Disability Rehabilitation Research, and it's just focused on helping young people get savvy and learn about information technology jobs so they can move into that area. Yes, and you know what, Peter, anything that you can do there to direct students our way or let them know about us, I would appreciate. I tell so many young people today, um, I had the head of the Pittsburgh Technology Council on our show, Stephen Zalstra, and he was talking about, you know, he works with CEOs across the United States and how there's such a, really, a crisis going on, not just in the area of disability, for, for any company looking into the future, hiring students, college students with a degree in math and computer science. Mm -hmm. And what he was talking about is how wonderful it would be if somehow we could steer a lot of, you know, young students with disabilities in high school you know, to make sure they go into these areas because there are so many job opportunities. So that's really great. How has that been working out, your project? Oh, it's been it's been fantastic. We've been doing trainings. We've been uh, providing information. We have been doing uh, uh, illustrative samples of assistive technology, new assistive technologies, again, all of which is on our website. I believe, for example, I'd have to check this, but one state, I think it's North Carolina, has adopted this whole module as their training program for young kids with disabilities in their state. So it's been very positive, uh, and, and we're delighted to make that freely available to anybody who wants it. Oh, that that is just wonderful. Now, Peter, how long have you been at Syracuse? Less than a year. Less than a year. Yes, I had the, uh, I'm heading, I have the great honor to head this new Burton Blatt Institute. And Burton Blatt, as you know, was, one of the luminaries in our field, in the 1960s, 1970s, he went around with a hidden camera on his belt with a friend of his named Fred Kaplan into then really horrific institutions in New York and Massachusetts and elsewhere and did one of the first exposés of institutional life, which was not very good uh, at the time. His seminal work called Christmas in Purgatory was the result of that. He later became a very distinguished professor at Syracuse and a, uh, a dean of the School of Education. And I've been terrifically fortunate that the new chancellor at Syracuse University, who just came on board a little bit before I did, a woman named Nancy Cantor, uh, asked me to join Syracuse and asked me to take this new institute, which she endowed and helped endow, to make it a university-wide initiative so that in my capacity I work with law and computer sciences and engineering and architecture, and I believe it's the first institute of its kind which is really embedded in the chancellor's office and meant to be a resource throughout the entire university. And, of course, we're a resource, I hope, as well to many other universities and internationally as well. Yes, I know Burton Blatt. I know of him, and 
Um, he truly is a champion and hero to anyone that knows anything about trying to get people out of mental institutions that were, you know, treated horrifically. Because when uh, Charlie Hammerman was here in Pittsburgh and spoke at our uh, NAAPD fundraising event, and I just introduced him just for a few minutes. He wasn't really a speaker. I just introduced him, and he just mentioned his uncle's name. And Marsha Blanco, who is the head of Achieva, just, oh, couldn't believe it, you know, that they were related because she knew so much about uh, Burton Black and was so excited about that. So that's really great that you're doing that. Oh, it's a great pleasure. And, and you mentioned one of the things about leaving a legacy for the new generation. So we are in the process, for example, of reprinting a 1,000 copies of Burton Blatt's A Christmas in Purgatory, as well as on CD in accessible format, and giving it away because many people email me every day saying they can't get copies of it anymore. So we're we're trying to keep the legacy alive, and we're trying to build legacies and role models and leaders who this new generation can look to uh, as as they take over and move forward in this area. Is that one of the things you're trying to do with um, when you talked about that education on how to start, you know, how to do policy in your own area? Is that one of the things you're trying to do, hopefully see more leaders come forward from this? Absolutely, and in all disciplines, because increasingly, as you know, Joyce, uh, in data, in research, in policy analysis becomes comes political power. And these days in the era of so-called evidence-based outcomes and all sorts of cost-benefit analyses, increasingly our community has to be empowered to understand policymaking and the bases for policy. And a lot of that comes from social science research, and we're trying to help uh, contribute to that goal. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Um, Peter, we have a question here for you from Florida from a Linda who said, uh, Dr. Blank, it is a pleasure to get to speak to you. I do have a question to you in reference to my family. My question is, for children with intellectual disabilities, what do you see as their future in the area of employment? Well, Linda, that's a very good question, and I think the future has to be very bright. We don't have an answer. We don't have an alternative. Most of my work is with people with intellectual disabilities because of family members I have with intellectual disabilities and a commitment to this area. And I think that increasingly, particularly with the aid of new technologies and computer-assisted learning, we're going to see new advancements in that area. The challenge in the short term is to overcome attitudinal bias and, quite frankly, prejudice in this area. Yes, and there is, unfortunately, so much stereotype, sometimes even through, you know, TV and Hollywood and, you know, different areas. But the only way I see change, again, is through getting people in the workforce and, and seeing how productive they are. And as you mentioned earlier, Peter, how it adds value to the bottom line for the shareholder. That's exactly right. And as this generation, this new generation becomes more financially empowered, we'll see greater leverage in employment as well. This new generation has to have good credit ratings. They have to own homes. They have to be able to own cars and their own vans and to get to work. Otherwise, we'll continue this this pattern of dependency 
for another generation which will not be acceptable to any of us. You know, Peter, if I am correct, university professor at Syracuse, isn't that the highest level position you could be in? Uh, I, I believe that's correct. You're, yes, you're making so me blush a little bit, but yes, it is. Thank well, you. Well, congratulations on that. Now, how many classes do you teach there? Well, this year I'm not teaching any classes. I'm spending most of my time working with doctoral students and undergraduate students one-on-one to try to make a difference, particularly many people, many students with disabilities, to um, really focus on their research interests, their teaching interests, and their projects. In the future, I hope to teach a class which would be university-wide, which would focus on disability issues. Oh, that would be fantastic. And you work with the graduate students, the doctoral students, on projects throughout the year? Yes, I do. work with students from a whole range of disciplines at a whole range of levels, and it's really a blessing to learn with those students. Well, what a wonderful opportunity that is. How, how large is the university, Peter? You know, that's one question I'm not sure of. But uh, I would it's not as large as the University of Iowa, but it's its not as small as a small college. It's a pretty good-sized university. It has a very strong reputation in many areas. The Maxwell School, for example, of public policy is rated number one in the country. And so we work very closely with people in Maxwell, you probably have heard also of a very high-rated journalism school, the Newhouse School of Communication, and we're working closely with them to change attitudes and to study public portrayals of people with disabilities in the media. Oh, that's excellent. Very good. Well, you went from Iowa to Syracuse, so now you have to get ready for snow, right? You got it. I (laughs) went from black and gold to orange, and there's quite a bit more snow here. Yeah. Yes, I know there is. Well, listen, we're going to go to break for a minute, and then we'll be right back with our guest, Dr. Peter Blank, the chairman of Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University. You are listening to Joyce Bender with Disability Matters on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. 
To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. From our home to your speakers, voiceamerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back. And if you just joined in, let me tell you what a great show this was today. We've had the famous Dr. Peter Blank, chairman of the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, as our guest today, which we are so honored to have had Peter on the show. Peter, you've done so many things and you've accomplished so much through all of your writings and testifying before Congress and you know, being a policy writer right in the middle of everything going on in this country when it comes to disability issues. But my question is, before your life is over, and we hope that's a long, long time from now, what what do you hope to accomplish through your work for Americans with disabilities in the policy area? Oh, that's a very good question. You know, I, I you're very gracious in talking about me, but... It, the, the greatest thing that I have going is the ability to work with people like yourself and so many others in this unique community, which is so focused on civil rights, which is so focused on people first, so focused on individual dignity. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that there's anything I'm looking forward to accomplishing or not. My life has been very blessed, as I've said repeatedly, in the sense that I've kind of not predicted where I'd end up on any particular day, in part because of all the interesting calls and things that come before me. Last year, I had I spent a lot of time in um, uh, Los Angeles uh, custody court, divorce court, in a case which I'm very proud of. I think I mentioned to you involving a woman named Monica Heath. Her two boys, Mike and Sammy, uh, lived with her. She was going through a divorce. The older boy, uh, had autism, and the father petitioned the divorce, the the uh, the family court, to basically split up the kids, mm. to allow the father to take the kid without autism, and to leave Mikey, the kid with autism, uh, with Monica, and Monica, of course, and the boys wanted to stay together as a family. Uh, sadly, the trial court agreed with the father and actually divorced the boys. And what was very satisfying for me, you ask about what I want to do going forward, um, was that after a legal battle working with stellar legal people out in Los Angeles at the Western Law Center and the Disability Legal Rights Center and other private law firms, we received a ruling from the California High Court last year saying this was wrong and this is not going to happen. Disability is not the plague and we will not split up families on the basis of disability. So you ask me what I'm interested in doing going forward. I wouldn't have predicted I would have been involved in that case two years ago, and yet it's one of the high points in my life in terms of the things that I like to think I've been a part of. My hope is that we'll see less and less in these sorts of cases, and increasingly we'll focus more on the inclusion and empowerment of our community uh, in America and around the world. Wow, that would be... I already think you have done so much, and I know that you have been 
in you know involved in congressional hearings and you've been involved with people like Justin Dart and Bobby Silverstein and Tony Quello and uh really all the leaders in the disability you know community right from the beginning um of time but I really think you have done a lot of, and we just keep keep doing what you're doing but my next question which I asked you before but this time I'm going to ask you about your career Peter, what what are you the proudest of career-wise? Another hard question because I I'm lucky in that what I do I don't see as work. You know, I heard somebody quote Mark Twain the other day. You probably heard this oft-quoted remark that he never let his uh, uh, classroom studies get in the way of his education. Uh, for me, uh, I'm trying to live every day and love every day that I'm here and um, I'm proud of just all the people you mentioned and being affiliated with all the people that I work with from the grassroots advocate in Iowa City to I work with to being involved in a case before the United States Supreme Court it's really all the same it's all the same theme and it's all about really human dignity inclusion and making leaving the this world a better place than we found it well, you have been involved in Tennessee versus Lane. You've been involved policy-wise in so many different cases. So I'm sure that you've done so much. I mean, it probably is hard to choose one thing, but that's because you've done so much. And we are really proud of you, Peter, for everything you've done for all Americans with disabilities. Uh, Peter, your books that you've written, is there access to those books also through Syracuse website? Yes. Uh, a recent book we've done, uh, which is kind of a, a fat, thick book, which is about 700 pages, which my mother refers to as her doorstop, is a treatise on disability law and policy, which I'm very proud of, which is available from West Thompson Publishers. And to me it's very satisfying because it's picked up teaching law students from Harvard Law School to Loyola Law School in Los Angeles to University of Ireland in Galway. And it's picked up now by many, many law schools. And that book, my hope is, will help train the next generation of advocates as well uh, in this area. And all these publications and books and so forth you can see on our website. And I'm happy to send people who are really interested in them information on them and even copies if I can get them. One minute. And how do they get that again? Uh, website, your website, one last time. The website is BBI for Burton Blatt Institute dot S Y R for Syracuse dot E D U. Okay, Peter, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Peace in the world. <laughs> I mean, it's just an honor to be with you, Joyce, and and uh, you know, my my, I'm living my message. And I just wish the same for you and everybody else. And um, God willing, we'll make a difference in the world. Uh, and I know that you are making a difference in this world. And since you knew, you know, and know, knew the Justin Dart and the Dart, of course, Yoshiko so well, I always end with a quote by a famous civil rights leader. But today I have to end with Yoshiko saying the other day, remember his words. Lead on no matter what. And that is, of course, what you're doing, Peter. Peter, an honor to have you with us. Keep doing what you're doing. 
We're behind you, Peter Blank. We are all behind you. You're listening to Joyce Bender on Disability Matters, VoiceAmerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.